Thank you for listening to this recording of Family Bible Church's Sunday morning message. We pray that God will use this word to bless and encourage you. Let's open up to Acts 14, and I'll be reading most of the chapter this morning down through verse 26. Now it happened in Iconium that they, Paul and Barnabas, went together to the synagogue of the Jews, and so spoke that a great multitude, both of the Jews and of the Greeks, believed. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brethren. Therefore, they stayed there a long time, speaking boldly in the Lord, who was bearing witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. But the multitude of the city was divided, part sided with the Jews and part with the apostles. And when a violent attempt was made by both the Gentiles and Jews with their rulers to abuse and stone them, they became aware of it and fled to Lystra and Derbe, cities of Lycania and to the surrounding region. And they were preaching the gospel there. And in Lystra, a certain man without strength in his feet was sitting, a cripple from his mother's womb, who had never walked. This man heard Paul speaking. Paul, observing him intently and seeing that he had faith to be healed, said with a loud voice, Stand up straight on your feet. And he leaped and walked. Now when the people saw what Paul had done, they raised their voices, saying in the Laconian language, The gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. And Barnabas they called Zeus, and Paul Hermes, because he was the chief speaker. Then the priest of Zeus, whose temple was in front of their city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates, intending to sacrifice with the multitudes. But when the apostles, Barnabas and Paul, heard this, they tore their clothes and ran in among the multitude, crying out and saying, Men, why are you doing these things? We also are men with the same nature as you. And preach to you that you should turn from these useless things to the living God, who made the heaven, the earth, the sea, and all things that are in them, who in bygone generations allowed all nations to walk in their own ways. Nevertheless, he did not leave himself without witness, in that he did good, gave us rain from heaven and fruitful seasons, filling our hearts with food and gladness." And with these sayings, they could scarcely restrain the multitudes from sacrificing to them. Then Jews from Antioch and Iconium came there, and having persuaded the multitudes, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing him to be dead. However, when the disciples gathered around him, he rose up and went into the city, and the next day he departed with Barnabas to Derbe. And when they had preached the gospel to that city and made many disciples, they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, exhorting them to continue in the faith, and saying, We must, through many tribulations, enter the kingdom of God. So when they had appointed elders in every church and prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord in whom they had believed. And after they had passed through Pisidia, they came to Pamphylia, and when they had preached the word in Perga, they went down to Italia, and from there they sailed to Antioch, where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work which they had completed. 
And may the Lord add his blessing to the reading from his word this morning. You may be seated. All right, as we've been studying the book of Acts, I think that clearly it's easy to see that um, we've seen how God has worked in beginning to reveal the mystery of the church, that God had a plan from the beginning, which we know from the book of Ephesians, that was before the foundations of the world were laid, and that at this time, God began to reveal it, to unveil, if you would, this mystery that um, we saw as we studied the book of Ephesians that he gave to Paul, and Paul um, was able to be the one to be able to speak that to the world, to the nations. And um, as we've considered this recently, in the last couple of weeks, we've seen how the focus of this church has gone from Jerusalem to now Antioch. That in the beginning, Jesus had told the disciples that they would be witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea, in Samaria, and then to the uttermost part of the earth, the world. And so we saw how he worked that through Peter first, which we'll see when we get to chapter 15. I think we're covering that next week, and maybe the next week or two weeks from now, um, where there's the Jerusalem Council, and that it's going to be a big deal that it was Peter who actually was the one who God used to work this out, and not Paul, okay? Because there's going to be this great debate on, on Paul and, and this kind of stuff. And so, so God works that, but then the storyline, if you would, transitions. We'd already met Saul of Tarsus, right? And, and we're told that he's the persecutor, but then we've seen Saul get saved. Jesus comes into his life. But it's still, there's Peter, but now all of a sudden we, we start learning more about this Saul because he's brought to Antioch by Barnabas. And while they are at Antioch and they're praying and they're fasting along with the other elders, the Holy Spirit comes upon them and he says, I want you now to set apart Barnabas and Saul for the work which I have set for them. And so from there we saw then that um, they laid hands on them, they prayed for them, they fasted some more, and they sent them out, they released them, and that, that um, Barnabas and Saul then went first down to Seleucia, down to, and then sailed to Salamis on the Isle of Cyprus, because, again, if you remember, that's because Barnabas was a Cypriot. He was from the Isle of Cyprus, and so they went back over there, but God, on his end of it, so man's side, it kind of makes sense why they did what they did, but on God's side, as God is unveiling this mystery, as God is doing this work, he has an appointment for these guys, and it's on the other end of the island. It's when they finally get to Paphos that they meet Sergius Paulus, and in meeting Sergius Paulus, who was the Roman proconsul of Cyprus, they're bantered about, they're fought by Elymas, who is also called Bargesus, right? Paul blinds Bargesus or Elymas at that moment and calls him a, a worker of the devil and all kind of choice names, right? Sergius Paulus is overwhelmed by this, right? And he receives the gospel. Now, Elymas, Bargesus, is only doing what he's doing in order to prevent Sergius Paulus from coming to the faith. And so Sergius Paulus comes to the faith, okay? He gets saved. Saul changes his name at that moment. To Paul. It was Saul and Barnabas, Barnabas and Saul, who went to Cyprus. It's Barnabas and Paul who leave Cyprus. And again, it's not stated this way. 
I know it's the Roman custom when you, when you search this out historically. I think Paul took the name of Sergius Paulus, and that's how he became Paulus. But from there, we saw then that they traveled from there to Antioch. And again, if you remember, we talked about this. Why Antioch? Well, because that's actually where Sergius Paulus' estate was at, up in Antioch. Again, we're not told that biblically. It's been found um, in archaeology that his estate is up there in Pisidian Antioch. I find it is more than a coincidence. Now, as we talked about that, and we talked about how God then leads us and guides us, right? And uh, I want to get into a little bit more of the detail of that, because there's other ways that God leads us and guides us, and we're going to see that as we, we go on through the book of Acts, that God is kind of guiding and directing behind the scenes. I mean, it's like when you read the book of Esther, right? You never see the word God, but you, you see him all through guiding things through this whole thing, right? Well, if you look there, I've got that, that oval, that blue oval there. I blew up the map a little bit so you can see this more, okay? So why did they go to, to um, Perga and, and then Antioch? Because that's specifically in detail. And I didn't sure talk about that then because we're going to talk about it now. And that is, if you look at the map where that is, you can see to the left and right of it that purplish kind of stuff. Those are our mountains. Okay, the yellow in between it is a, a valley. Okay, they didn't have interstate highways. Okay, and so when you, if you ever go hunting, how many ever go hunting? Okay. Only one? Wow, okay. So, Todd, I'm going to pick on you, right? Okay? So, the reality is, where's the deer going to travel? Yeah, in the path of least resistance, okay? And so, the reality, you know that as a hunter, okay? Well, the fact is, so do you, okay? You're going to travel the easiest way. When I go in the woods, I'm going to travel the easiest way, unless I find a deer path, and then if the deer path's going under the brambles, I might, yeah, David, you didn't put your hand up. Anyways, uh, okay, in the... And you're going to go into the bramble sometimes, you know, because you're going to follow the, the deer path, the, the, their path of least resistance, and I want to get in the middle of that. But we're going to travel that path of the least resistance. Well, they did as well, okay? And so they came up along that, that route because there was a valley that was there, okay? And that's the, the, where the path would go, okay? And so they get to Antioch, and they begin to pre- preach the gospel, and, and we're told that there was a great response to it until the Jews realized that God was opening it up to the Gentiles. And at that moment, the Jews became jealous. Okay, They became embittered, and they became jealous, and they began to fight against the gospel being proclaimed. And so it was not necessarily against the name of Jesus at the moment, but it was the fact that Jesus was being given to the, to the Gentiles. It was this pride this discriminatory pride that they had, that they had to be the ones. And again, we think that way sometimes too, and we need to let that go, okay? That God is, 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 is a great God. But we're told then that the Gentiles, as many as been appointed to eternal life, believed. And so again, this balance between uh, that these guys are doing something, they're working, right? But God is the one who's what? Working out his plan as an appointment book, Okay. And so from here, where are they going to go? And so I'm going to do this real quick, our geography class today, okay? And then we'll get into the theology class of this, okay? But from here, they go to this set of three cities. Well, if you look at the map, can you understand why those three cities were kind of put all together in, in their journey? Because they're, they're not, just not valleys, but in this, this whole thing where 
yeah, they got a mountain here and a mountain here, and they're set together. So first they go to Iconium, then they go to Derby and Lystra, and then they return back the same way, okay? And then they come back down through the valley, and then they go over to Adalia, and from Adalia, they travel back to Antioch, and we'll, t- we'll deal with that later, okay? So, so God uses a lot of different things to guide us. Does that make sense? And so, again, I think it's kind of cool. I think it's kind of cool that they go to Antioch of Pisidia, okay? And then from there, they go to these other three cities that are kind of local to that and that they can get to easily, okay? And then we're going to see that there's a whole lot of what? Persecution that goes on there, and they're kind of ready to, to go back to Antioch of Syria and to give a report, okay? So let's talk about this journey now down into that region um, with Iconium, Lystra, and Derby. okay? Because there's going to be two journeys. First of all, you've got your, your initial journey, okay? The, the initial trip that's going to go down there. And we're going to see three things that are in, in amongst that that are just true throughout the whole journey, okay? First of all, there's the proclamation of the gospel. That in each area they go, Iconium, Derby, Lystra, that they begin to ungalias, so evangelize, if we bring it straight over into the English, they begin to evangelize. They begin to proclaim the gospel. That's how we bring it out in English, to proclaim the gospel. But it's the word evangelize, ungelizo, okay, in, in the Greek, and you just literally bring that over into English as evangelize. So they went and they evangelized, okay? They proclaimed the good news, a good message to the people, okay? Now, where did they do it? Well, the first place when they went to Iconium, we're told that they went into the the synagogue, okay? That's what, what they did in Salamis when they were on Cyprus. That's what they did when they went to Antioch. That's what they did when they went to Iconium because there was a synagogue there. And so the first place they went was to the synagogue, and they again proclaimed the message, okay? And so they proclaimed the message, and we'll talk about the response in a moment, but there was a good response um, at it. But the second place we see them is when we go down to Derby and Lystra. Apparently, there's not a synagogue that's there. They're proclaiming it in the the marketplace, in the open spectrum. How do we know that? We'll get to that when we get to the healing of the cripple guy. But there they are. They're proclaiming this information in the open to everybody that's there, okay? So to the Jew first, but also to the, the Gentile. And so in order to proclaim the gospel, in order to evangelize, you have to meet the people where they are, okay? Sometimes it's in a church building, quote-unquote, a synagogue. Sometimes it's on in the open square. It's in the marketplace. One of the reasons um, that, so if you want to podcast us, okay, and this is not necessarily meant to be an advertisement, but anyways, but you can go on Spotify, Pandora, iHeart, um, uh, Stitcher, um, oh, you name it, okay? And we're out there, okay? We've got 17 different podcasts going on those places. And you'd be surprised. Again, I just looked at the stats. I was kind of downcasted because it, it really way dropped until I realized that just a couple months ago, I actually made us HTTPS rather than just an HTTP. And I was looking at the stats for HTTP, not the stats for HTTPS. And when I went over to the HTTPS, boom, again, we're still, you know, yeah, you, you get that. If you're, if you're a computer guy, you'll get that. Anyways, anyways, so I, you got to look at the right place. We're still, there's still 30, 40,000 hits a month over 15 minutes, which means they're listening to messages. That's mind-boggling to me. 30 to 40,000 a month that are listening to messages from our webpage. 
No, I, I know the stats from zero to 30 seconds, or off zero to five, five to 30, all the way up. But at 15 minutes is in my brain, they're there. You know, they're, so, so, but if you go out and you're listening to podcasts, but you download it and you don't stream it, you're not in my stats. Those are only the ones who are staying on the site. So whether they're on our webpage, literally, or whether they're streaming through um, Pandora, Spotify, Amazon, um, audio, what, 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 you know all those words, audible. Anyways, I'm a computer guy. I should know all those. Anyways, I'm the one who does all that. But anyways, but my point in this is I was, I was approached by Sermon Audio to put stuff out there, but we've got to pay them. We're a small church. We're not going to pay them. But we don't pay Spotify. We don't pay Pandora. We don't pay YouTube. All those other places are free, and it is the marketplace where unbelievers are. Does it make sense? Sermon audio, not many unbelievers go into Sermon Audio. Okay? And not that we don't care about believers, okay? but the reality is that God's called us to put the gospel out to unbelievers. Okay? And so, I don't know if John's still on, but um, he should be in church in Oklahoma now, but he'll, he tunes in with us while he's traveling to church. He was saved through the Proverbs podcast on Amazon. And that's kind of cool, you know? And I'm getting to teach him, start to teach him Greek now. And so to train him up, he has a desire to be a pastor. Isn't that kind of cool? Okay? But we want to be in the marketplace. Don't be afraid of the marketplace. But as you're going to see today, and as we talked about in Sunday school, if you go into the marketplace, be willing to accept the consequences. It's one thing to preach the gospel in a church where everybody's good with it. It's another thing to begin preaching in the marketplace, in the public square, where not necessarily is everybody going to be excited about it. Well, for them, not everybody was necessarily excited about it in the synagogue either. First of all, many what? Many believed. There was a great response. Many people believed. But on the other side of it, what happened? Many were irate. Like, not just displeased, but they actually became irate to the place where you, we've already read it, Chuck's already read it, we're going to talk about it, where they're stoning Paul. Okay? Like, you're going to be persecuted for this thing, okay? But along with that proclamation of the gospel, as they were faithful to open their mouth boldly to proclaim the message, God came alongside them. And we see the power of the Lord. Not the power of the apostle, but the power of the Lord. God granted them many signs and wonders. He enabled them to do wondrous things. There was nothing special about Paul. There was nothing special about Barnabas. And there had to be others that were other miracles, if you would, signs and wonders being done other than the cripple. Okay? Because we're told that, that God granted them the ability to do many signs and wonders. Now, I'm, again, not saying that we should walk around thinking it's going to happen, but if you remember going back in this series, coming through, that God uses signs and wonders to validate the, the message, okay? That, that as the message is going to go forth, God uses these miracles, these signs and wonders to validate the message. If the message has already been validated in a culture, I'm not saying he's not going to do anything, but the reality is he doesn't need to. 
Does it make sense? And so 1 Corinthians 1 and 2, Paul's talking about how the, the, the Greeks seek after logic and the Jews seek after signs, okay? And, and we, we tend to still kind of go that way. We struggle with that. There is a group in Christianity that is totally just, all they do is logic. Everything's all about their own main their thing. And in 1 Corinthians 2, they're called a natural man. There's a sikakos man. They're, they're using their own wisdom, their own knowledge. Um, but there's also those who are seeking after what? Sign. I, I want to continually be, have this feeling that God is loving me. Okay? And there's a balance in between. There's this knowledge. God wants us to know the truth. And the truth will what? Set us free. It's not my own ability to, to jerry-rig this stuff. It is not this thing that I'm going to continue to see these signs. So God does signs and wonders. I'm not negating that. Okay? But the purpose of his signs and wonders that we see in the book of Acts was to validate the message, not as a feel-good to believers. Okay? That's important. Okay? So, so he's granting signs and wonders, and then that leads then to this large <laughs> sign and wonder that as they're there, side thought as you come into this, I want you to see as well some of the parallelisms for Paul with the early church. You're thinking, this is really the early church still, but I'm talking about even earlier for him, okay? So Paul and Barnabas aren't on their way to the temple at the hour of prayer, okay? You get the illusion I'm, I'm going back to with Peter and John, right? Acts chapter 3. And what do they see as they're going to the, the temple in the hour of prayer? I see a crippled beggar. And Peter, looking at him, realizes that he has what? The faith to believe. And he says, silver and gold have we not, but such as we have give we unto thee in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. And he went walking and being and praising God, right? And so, so it was exciting stuff. Well, what happens here? Barnabas and Paul are walking into the city, and they see what? This cripple. And Paul looking intently at him. It wasn't just, ah, oh, Paul saw him. The word literally is he looked intently at him. Now, I don't know what that looks like to know that this guy has the, the belief. I don't know what Paul saw. But in looking at him intently, Paul saw that he had the faith to be healed. It's not just the person healing that has faith. It's the person being healed at that moment who has to have faith as well. Remember, Jesus went by many times because they, the people had no faith. And so he could do no miracles there. You kind of wonder, like, huh, what do you mean God couldn't do miracles? Because, well, if people aren't going to believe, they're not coming. They're not going to trust. They're not going to do that. So Paul, looking intently at him, saw that he had the faith to be healed. And so in the name of Jesus Christ, they healed him. Now, again, this isn't in the middle of Jerusalem. This is in the middle of Gentile territory. So you have to think like a Gentile. You're Gentiles, okay? But think like a pagan Gentile. <laughs> I know. Go back a couple of years. For some of you, you it, it was too young when you got saved. You can't. You know, for me, it's 40 years ago, but I can still kind of remember how those Gentiles think. Okay? And so the reality is, you know, they see this thing, and for them, they think what? The gods have come among us. They worship gods. They worship false gods, but they worship the gods. The ones that we talk about with Greek mythology. 
Zeus and Hermes, they were real to them. You know, we kind of like, oh, you know, just going to read about the stories about the, these myths back, way back then. But this was real to them right then. Zeus and Hermes were real to them. That's who they worshipped. They had a temple for Zeus in front of their city. And so now all of a sudden, these two men, people, we thought, have the ability to cause a guy that we know, remember Jerusalem, right? He was a cripple for 40 years in the synagogue, in, in, in the Sanhedrin. They couldn't do anything about it because they knew that this was real, right? But think about it. At that moment, the Sanhedrin and all these Jews who believed in the Almighty God, right? Who knew of the power of God, who knew that this guy had been a cripple for 40 years, and now he's not, still rejected it. Isn't that kind of amazing? You get these Gentiles, they see this thing happen, and they go, what? Wow, Zeus and Hermes have come among us. Barnabas, they called Zeus. Paul, they called Hermes. Why? Who was Hermes? Say, I heard it. The messenger. The messenger. Hermes was the messenger. So this is kind of like Moses and Aaron. Because Moses was going to be like God, and Aaron was going to be his spokesperson, right? Well, it's kind of the same thing with Zeus and Hermes, right? And so, clearly, who was the guy talking? Paul. So he must be Hermes. The other guy who's not saying anything, but standing there, clearly he's in charge. He's got to be Zeus. They didn't declare themselves to be that. But the people got it. This could only have been done except if it was by the gods. Now, we get it's not by the gods. We're 2,000 years later reading it. But for them, and their they got it. This is something special. This, is, this doesn't just happen every day. They've seen thermatologists as well. They've seen the miracle workers. They've seen wonder guys. But this was different. Instantly, they call them. So the reaction of the crowd. There is this instant belief, if you would, in what happened. Now, note I'm not saying an instant belief in Jesus Christ. There's an instant belief in what just happened. They're accepting the what? The miracle. Understand the miracle, okay? They are, though, putting it in the realm of their own religion. Well, Paul and Barnabas at this moment rejoice in it. They accept it. They bathe in the, in the, in the, um, in the publicity and everything else because now they can, they can draw a greater crowd. And it doesn't matter if they're kind of messed up just a little bit in their theology. It doesn't happen that way, does it? But it does in our day today, doesn't it? Where we like to get receive the publicity. We like to see, see that. But they don't. They're grieved for the reputation and glory of God. And they instantly go in amongst the crowd. Now, I want you to think about this now. This crowd is fervorous at this moment. I mean... They're excited because, as the Jews weren't excited. I mean, God came to earth amongst them. He said he would. Yahweh declared that he would come in their midst, and he did. And the Jews weren't excited about it. 
But these guys thought that Zeus and Hermes were coming in their midst, and they were pumped. But you're Paul, you're Barnabas, and you're going to run in and you're going to tell them what? They're wrong. They're wrong. Not just wrong about you, but it didn't stop there. They begin to tell them they got a wrong God. This is a real God. We're serving the true God. And the true God has allowed you to go along in your ignorance for a period of time. But not anymore. Now he's bringing out the truth. How do you think that gets... I mean, I mean, you clearly, Chuck just read it. You all know the story, right? But how do you think it would be received? I mean, there are going to be those who look at it and they're going to see the miracle and they're going to say what? Wow. Okay. Maybe I need to rethink my theology. But most of them do exactly what we do today. What I believe trumps what I just know happened. I don't care what truth you have. We, we want our culture. We want our culture. I challenge you to ask yourself whether you are only a cultural Christian or whether you are a real Christian. You live in a land where Christianity is cultural. You can say, well, it's changing. It is changing. But we still are slightly a Judeo-Christian society. Even though the United Nations has us listed as a pagan nation. They do, and we are. They're right. But many of you, many of you, not all of you, grew up in a Judeo-Christian type home. And you need to ask yourself, are you only a cultural believer, a cultural Christian? And we see that in nationalism. Just as the Jewish nationalism, where they had Yahweh was the national God. We have our national God. And we blur politics and Christianity because we're cultural Christians. And you don't have a real relationship with the one true God. Now, I'm not saying that I believe that about any of you. I just want to put it out there. Because for 23 years, Bob was a cultural Christian. And, I w- and after Marsha and I got married, we came down here. We were on our own. We could do whatever we wanted to. We still went to church every Sunday. Why? It's because what you do. I mean, what else are you going to do on a Sunday? I wouldn't go to the beach. I mean, I, feel un- I just feel bad about myself on that one, you know. I mean, you've got to be right. You know, anybody says you're going to go to heaven, of course I'm going to go to heaven. I go to church every week. We laugh, but it's true. You're a cultural Christian. So we went to her flavor one week, we went to my flavor the other week, until my flavor didn't have a pastor for a period of time, and blah, then we went to her flavor for a while, until we were to her flavor for months, and went to the door, and the guy said, oh, you guys visiting today? And I went, hmm, not anymore. <laughs> I wasn't a believer, y'all. I mean, and I let people know I wasn't a believer, okay? I mean, it was just straight out there, okay? And so, but praise God for that. Because God used all that and then reading his word for me to realize that I was a cultural Christian and I was going to hell. 
because I was trusting in Bob, and I was trusting in my cultural Christianity, and I wasn't trusting in Jesus Christ. So kids, I want to challenge you kids. Mom and dad are dragging you here. But would you come on your own if you had the option? The UN Conventions of the Rights of the Children is passed. You now don't have to go to church because you can sue your mom and dad. It's not passed yet. You have to wait. But when it's passed, go check me out. I keep telling you, check me out. Did you go look at it, Joseph? Am I right? Okay, go check me out. I have a computer. I've been tracking this thing since the 90s. Once it's signed, we lose the sovereignty of this nation, and you lose, your child is not just, you're not just fighting the ward of the state, it's a ward of the world. Okay? Overnight, one decision, boom, it happens. World court. So kids, would you go to church? If you had the right, if you could sue your mom and dad and, and force them not to make you take you to church, would you do it? Or are you only coming because you're being made to? Are you a cultural Christian? Or are you a real one? Do you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ? I know I'm beating it. Most important point of anything that comes today. The apostles went in, and they, they said, don't do this. Don't do this. This is grievous against God. Well, what's the reaction that comes to it? Well, the next thing we see then is, oh, the healing of Paul, because we'll talk about the persecution of the messengers in a second as a result of this. We have the healing of Paul. Well, where did the healing of Paul come from? They stoned him. The reaction. Now, it wasn't just a reaction by the Gentiles, but we're going to see in a moment with the persecution of the messengers that there were the, the Jews who were still irate who were coming and they're, they're, they're causing a mob against them, okay? But the reality is that there is this, this, this place where he come, becomes stoned. But the thing that I want you to see in this, and I don't want to spend a lot of time on this one, okay, is that they took him out of the city, okay, and they stoned him. Now, they had already fled. We're going to see this in a moment. They had already fled the previous city because of the threat of being stoned. So it wasn't like Paul was looking forward to being stoned. When was the first time we ever met Paul named Saul? The stoning of Stephen. Isn't it kind of ironic how this plays out? I, I think it's ironic. Appropriate, yeah, okay, maybe. But I think God is allowing Paul to learn the lessons, again, from that earliest church. And as he stood there in blessing, if you would, the stoning and killing of Stephen, now he is receiving the same consequence by the same type of people. And when they take him out of the city, this is important, this now made so, Okay? This isn't phronos, um, like thinking, or dianuos, uh, uh, to, to, to think through something. There are different words in the Greek for thinking. This is the word namitsu. It comes from the word namas. I know, that means like nothing to you. Um, but namas is the word for law. He was in a, in a, in a and it's, and it's translated many places, suppose or thought or whatever, but it, it has a deeper meaning. It's like a legitimate. He was legitimately, legally, dead. It's not like they brought a doctor out, but they really looked at him. Do you understand? It wasn't like, ah, I think he might be dead. Okay. We had enough. Stop stoning him. 
But they literally looked at him and said what? He's dead. I have this as the healing of Paul, but sometimes I want to put this as the raising of Paul. But we're not told that specifically. But the word usage, I think, is critical. They're letting us know that for all intents and purposes, Paul was as good as dead. And the believers believed. What kind of believers were these? (laughs) Say it again. New ones. Other than Barnabas, they had seen the power of God healing the cripple. Now, they necessarily never saw anybody being raised from the dead yet. But they just heard about Jesus being raised from the dead. Yeah? And they're believing in the fact that God has the power to raise somebody from the dead. And clearly, God has the power to do what? Heal a crippled man who's always been crippled. And so they gather about him, and they pray. Now, I don't know if they're praying for a healing or not, if they're praying for a, a, a resurrection. All I know is they got together with him, and they what? And they prayed. And what happened? Paul got up. That's a pretty, pretty good miracle in my book. The third thing that happens is the persecution of the messengers. So real quickly, coming through it, we see that the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles, poisoned their minds. Again, this isn't the word mind, it's really the word soul. Okay? There are, again, words for mind, nuos, fronos, okay? that you can be using to put in there. And they, the kakos, I love the word kakos because the word kalos is good. The word kakos sounds like what it is. Kaka. I mean, we use the word kaka. That's kaka. You think what you think. I mean, you know what you're thinking, right? And that's exactly what it is. It's ugly, man. It's just bad. It's stinky. It's not good. It's evil. It's wicked. It's whatever. It's kaka. It's kakos. And they were, the Jews were, I like the term poisoning, although it's not really an accurate translation. They were kakosing their souls. Their very souls. Not just their minds, but their very beings against the truth of the gospel. When you look at the world today, that's exactly what is happening. Through the media, through the educational system, through the entertainment system, Satan is using the venues to cacos the souls of people against the gospel. Do you track that? And against you. Because that's the target, is the messenger. Because if you target the messenger, the people won't hear the message. You're evil. You're wicked. You're vile. You are, um, my mind's blanking, uh, we want to be all-inclusive, we want to be, help me the word. Say it again. No, yeah, yeah, that's the t- today's word. But when we accept others, we're inclusive. We're, we're inclusive. You know, we're not, a, we're not inclusive to others, okay? In other words, if we were inclusive, then we would say that no matter what God you believe, no matter how you live, that all go to what? Heaven. But you're not inclusive. You're, you're not inclusive. You think you have the what? The truth. You think that it's only your way. So how arrogant can you be? And so, and so you're, that's what you're being, people are being taught about you, whether you like it or not, Okay? And so, so they're being cacosed, if you would, in their souls against you, against the messenger. 
believers, okay? So they were, they were against the brethren. And then a violent attempt was made by both the Gentiles and the Jews with their rulers to abuse and stone them. So they became aware of it. They fled to Lystra and Derby. So they said, huh, we're done in Iconium. It's time to go to Lystra and Derby, right? But when they get to Lystra and Derby, what happened? Jews from Antioch and Iconium came there. They followed them. It wasn't just enough to get them out of the city, but they wanted it stopped. Who do you think is behind all that? Satan. We need to continue to remember, there's a spiritual war, y'all. It's going to continue to go on. It's gone on for thousands of years. It's going to continue to go on until Christ comes. And he reigns for a thousand years. Before that, he is going to bind Satan, put him in a pit. Yes, I believe this. I believe in a literal interpretation of the Bible. It's what it says in the Bible. It's going to happen. I believe it's going to happen. He's going to bind him. He's going to put him in a pit for a thousand years. Christ is going to reign on the earth for a thousand years. Read the book of Zechariah as well, where it talks about it, where every nation is going to come to Jerusalem, and they're going to celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles every year, because the Feast of Tabernacles is a celebration of God on earth. Jesus is going to be there, God on earth, Yahweh in the presence of them, and they're going to have to come, and they're going to declare that Jesus actually there that he's Yahweh he's God on earth and if they don't come they're not going to get any rain for for the next whole year okay I believe it it's literal it's there right and then at the end of a thousand years of that rain what's going to happen Satan's going to be released huh God's going to release him and what's he going to do immediately Steve what's he going to do immediately He's going to poison them. That's good. He's going to poison their souls again. He's going to go and he's going to, he's going to work up the nations to think that they can attack Jesus and win, even after a thousand years of God being on earth. People say, if God was just on earth, boy, I'd believe, really. Wait till that day. He's going to be on earth for a thousand years. And at the end of the thousand years of his reign, the nations are still going to rise up against him one last time. And he's going to call it. And then you have the great white throne judgment. Amazing stuff. So they come to, from Antioch and Iconium, and they persuade him, and then Paul gets stoned. So the proclamation of the gospel, the power of the Lord, the persecution of the messengers. Okay? Guess what? You can still expect that today. It doesn't change. But we need to open up our mouth and do what? Proclaim the gospel. The return trip, quickly. They came through exhorting the brethren. They exhorted the brethren to continue in the faith. Why? Because I don't believe you can lose your salvation. So here, I'm going to say here on this one, okay? I don't believe you can lose your salvation. But I believe that your, the trueness of your salvation is revealed by how you respond to the trials and tribulations that go on in your life. And so as they come through, they exhort the brethren to continue in the faith. Colossians 1, where it says, Then in you who once were alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he has reconciled, skip the next part because it's a subclause, if indeed you continue in the faith. So he has reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight, if indeed you continue in the faith. Hmm. That ought to go, that, that doesn't like once saved, always saved. You're right. But it's still once saved, always saved. That means you were never what? Saved. Are you tracking with me? He has reconciled you if you continue in the faith. 
If you don't continue in the faith, you never really were reconciled. You were playing a game, okay? Hebrews 3, 14. For we have become partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. Well, that ties in then to the enduring of the tribulations. And you go back three years ago and you look at the, the series that we did on 2 Corinthians where we're talking about embracing afflictions in, first, in 2 Corinthians 1, which I probably am not going to have time to get into today, um, but it's on your sermon note sheets to look at it, okay? And that is when we talk about the, um, the, the purposes of the afflictions. First of all, we have the, the promise, okay, of Christ. John 16, verse 33, in this world you will have what? Philipsis. So I should tell you that the word there in Acts 14, that it talks about the hardship, we must through many hardships enter into the kingdom of God. That's where I'm going with this, okay? That they, they came through, they, they urged them to continue in their faith, and they told them that we must through many hardships enter into the kingdom of God. The word hardships there is the word philipsis. It's a pressure cooker situation. You're being squeezed. Okay? And so you can do a word search on this and check this out. Okay? But in John 16, 33, Jesus says be, that in this world you will have many philipsis. But be of good cheer. Why? I've overcome the world. It's a promise. You will have afflictions. You will have hardships. You will have tribulations. Okay? Matthew 24, 4 to 14. This is the end times teaching. Jesus is talking about what's going to happen at the end time. I want to read this real quick, okay, because I think, again, it's important. And Jesus answered and said to them, that's his, um, um, to his disciples, Take heed that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and will deceive many. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not troubled. That's not our word. For all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For a nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and pestilence and earthquakes in various places. All these things are just the beginning of sorrows. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation, philipsis, and kill you. And you will be hated by all nations for my namesake. All those things that are natural that are going on, that's not your philipsis. It's when it comes because of your relationship with Jesus Christ. That's when it becomes a pressure cooker situation. And kill you, and you'll be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will be offended and will betray one another and will hate one another. Then many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. And because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. But he who endures to the end shall be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached and this gospel of the kingdom will be preached. What, he, what was he just talking about? What was the good news he was just talking about? Say it again. Affliction. affliction. Yeah. That, that the ones who endure the affliction are saved. And the gospel, this gospel, is going to be proclaimed. This gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness. When was the last time you heard someone really camp out in the fact that through, through, you have to enter the kingdom through hardship? Huh? Nobody wants to hear it. We, I mean, that, that doesn't preach today. I mean, it doesn't, I mean, I'm going to lose half the congregation. I'm joking about you guys, okay? But I mean, if I'm, if I'm out there and, I'm, and I got a, a, one of those health and wealth and feel good and I got five, 10,000 people and I preach a message like this, I'm going to have a half a congregation next week because we don't want to talk about it. But Jesus said, it's going to happen. It's okay. When it happens, remember I told you it's going to happen, Okay? Um, 
2 Corinthians 4, 16 to 18, Therefore we do not lose heart, even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory, while we do look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Our afflictions, remember, there's a promise. It's going to happen. Are only what? Momentary, temporary. The worst thing the world thinks they can do to me is the best thing that they can do to me. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. I'm doing great today. The only way it could get any better is if I was dead. When I drove truck, that drove a lot of people crazy when when they asked how I was. (laughs) The only way it could get any better is if I was dead. Oh, it can't be that bad. No, it's that good. Listen to what I'm telling you. No, 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 it's really okay. No, no, I know it's okay. Listen to what I'm just telling you. I'm doing great. I mean it. I'm great. I'm great. The only way it could get any better is if I was dead. Oh, it can't be that bad. No, it's that good. You just don't know Jesus. Because when I die, I'm going to be in his presence. It doesn't get any better than that. I mean, it's good right now. I'm enjoying life right now. But I know that when I die, it's getting better. Do you believe it? That's really when it plays out. Well, the purpose of tribulations, they provide proof of our genuineness. Matthew 13, 20, 21. This is the, the, the sower and the seed. There's four soils of the heart, okay? And so we're told about the stony soil. But he who received the seed in stony places, this is he who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, yet he has no root in himself, but endures only for a while. Why? For when flipsis, tribulation, hardship, trials come, or persecution arises because of the word, not just in life, but because of the word, immediately he stumbles. Again, remember this. This has nothing to do with just someone drove through the, the stop sign and hit me. There's a periosmos that just happened at that moment, but it's not because of the word, okay? And so this is a thlipsis, a pressure cooker situation happening to you because you are taking a stand for Jesus and for the word, okay? And if at that moment you falter, so can anybody finish, give me the last name of the guy I'm going to say, Balthasire. Oh, I heard it. Hubmeyer, good. Hubmeyer, that's exactly right. Good job. Balthasire Hubmeyer. She's heard it enough, okay? Balthasire Hubmeyer, okay? It's a guy I always want to remember. It's a name you should remember, okay? Balthasire Hubmeyer went around preaching the gospel during the days before the Reformation, Okay? Preaching the gospel, preaching the gospel, but he was arrested by the Roman church, okay? And he was put on the rack, okay? If you kind of ever seen the rack, kind of those kind of concepts. Not a pleasant thing, having your body kind of being <laughs> pulled apart, okay? Like a chicken that's already dead. Anyways, but still like a chicken. And so, so he's on a rack, and he's told he needs to recant, or he's going to be pulled, finished it out, right? So what did he do? He recanted. You remember the story now, Steve, don't you? He recanted. They let him go. What did he do? He went out and preached the gospel. They went and they grabbed him again. They put him on the rack. What did he do? He recanted. Then what did he do? He went out and preached the gospel. A third time he was arrested and he was put on the rack. What did he do? 
He didn't recant. How can I continue to deny he who never denied me? Folks, that's real persecution. That's really suffering for your faith. We want to talk about suffering for our faith. We need to talk about people around the world, right, Miss Nancy? People who are suffering for their faith all around the world, going to jail, losing their families, willing to do it. But there's a purpose. It proves the genuineness of our faith. You can look at 2 Corinthians 8, 1 to 5, but there's the word in the Greek, dokimos, dokimitso, um, a lot of great words. Anyways, but dokimos is to be proven genuine, okay? And so you're going through these trials, and, and so if you're um, a real diamond, it's going to show, right? The jeweler's going to look at it and say, oh, this is a great diamond. Or you're going to look at it and he's going to say, what? It's a cubic zirconian, okay? It's a fake. And God is that jeweler who knows whether you are real or whether you are fake. So, first thing, it proves your genuineness. Second thing, it provides opportunity to minister to others. This is where we don't have time. Please go look at it, okay? But God gives us the opportunity to go through these things in order that we might be able to minister to others. We must, through thlipsis, enter into the kingdom of God. It, you are nothing special. God has allowed periosmos, troublesome situations, to, to occur to all men right? But God is faithful in that he will not allow you to be troubled beyond what you're able to bear. And so if you are looking to him, trusting him, not trusting in chariots, not trusting in horses, you know, Psalm 20, right? But you're trusting in the name of Yahweh, you're trusting in the power of Yahweh, and that you're looking to him, he will give you the strength to get through the trial. So in the end, oh, commanding the brothers, I don't have time to do this. The return trip, they commended the brother to the Lord. They handpicked elders. They appointed elders. They handpicked them, okay? The second thing they did, they did it with praying and fasting, okay? And so they commended them. They're getting ready to leave. They're getting ready to go. I mean, they're there for a short period of time. It might have been a year. It might have been a year and a half, but they're done. They're leaving. These guys are on their own. And before they leave, they handpicked elders. You, 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 and you. It doesn't tell us what their qualities were. This is one of those places where I'd love to have more in it. Tell me how you did that. How did you pick those elders? But I think Paul tells us later when he gives right all these things about these are the standards, right? And so he, he, he picks them. You guys are, are elders. You're in charge. <laughs> we're out of here. How would you feel if you were one of those guys that he said, okay, you're in charge? Uh, I didn't volunteer. Notice they didn't volunteer. They just what? Literally, in the Greek, it's hand-pick, hand-pick. When it says appointed, it literally is here, your hand. They hand-picked them and, 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 and said, you're it. <laughs> it's kind of fun stuff. So are you ready to give an answer to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that's within you? How faithful are you to be open to your mouth boldly to proclaim the gospel? Are you willing to endure hardship even to the point of real persecution in the name of Jesus? But again, more importantly, is your faith cultural or personal? the biggest part. Is there then a need to change the way you think and change the way you act? Let's pray. Father, thank you for you. Thank you for the testimony of Barnabas and Paul and how you used them, Lord, to, to minister on your behalf. And thank you, Lord, that they were willing to, to go through even persecution.
for your namesake. Um, I thank you, Lord, for the, the incredible signs and wonders that we even get to read, knowing that there were even more of how you worked mightily and powerfully. Lord, help us to trust you that that same power that we read about is still available today, that you are there behind us every step of the way. You will never leave us. You will never forsake us but that you want to be magnified in each of our lives individually. And Lord, if there are any here today who are just national, cultural, whatever, and aren't real, not genuine, Lord, that you would make it aware to them today and that they would call upon your name and today would begin a new journey for them. In Christ's name, amen.